Hi, welcome to Interviews Podcast. I am passionate about business. I used to run businesses for others before launching my own. And I have always asked myself one key question. What is the secret recipe to properly structure and successfully run a business? So I am on a quest to find out through insightful conversations with entrepreneurs all around the world. Follow me on my journey to crack the entrepreneurship code. Interviews is sponsored by Bertoli Digital, a Wix website agency built for startups, individuals and SMEs. Bertoli Digital is also Finland's first certified Wix expert and Wix partner agency. 1% of all the agency's project revenue go to Global Footprint Network to help change how the world manages its natural resources and respond to climate change. If you want to know more, www.bertolidigital.com or contact at bertolidigital.com. This is Interviews. Today, I am with Chris Helkin, the founder of Doodle Brands based in Vietnam. This is Chris' second company. The first one was sold to WPP in 2014, and I am pretty sure Chris will tell us about that. Hey, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Hello, Ron, and everyone. Real pleasure to be here. Thank you. So you are a brand guy, right? So what is your motto? So for me, over the years, yeah, it's been branding, and then more recently using design thinking to innovate brands. So I think, if anything, my motto would be, I like to try and help empower people uh, mm -hmm. to frame problems uh, and to solve problems in a very uh, human-centric way. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your entrepreneur's journey. Sure, sure. Um, a lot of it kind of comes to back to, to where you started off in life. So I think uh, without getting too far in the past, uh, I think you know, I, I grew up in a family that, uh, that, that had a, a small family business in craft and engineering of picture framing and fine art galleries. And that was uh, something my dad started in the late 70s something I grew up with in Thatcher period in the 80s in the UK. Mm. It was very, very much a small town within Northern Ireland where people were often into having family businesses in those days and trading in amongst uh, all the farming. So I had a lot of exposure to people uh, being, you know, self-reliant, get up and go um, and, and, and making what they could of the situation around them. Uh, so that, that kind of left a heavy imprint on me I guess looking back and I, I think always a, a lingering uh, sort of thought in the back of my mind as to what that might be like to um, be, be my own boss to, to try something out with a group of people somewhere somewhere down the line so so that 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 kind of mindset I think was 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 always there from early days and then you, as it turned out, I, you know, having, having had that exposure to the family business, I, I got more involved into art and design of life. Uh, and that kind of progressed to university doing the, let's say, the visual and the verbal of, of design and, and communications at a degree in Manchester. And then ultimately, I cut my teeth in uh, London and New York in, uh, during the first dot-com boom. So I was just at, at a good time and a good place. Uh, at a very interesting period in history, as it's turned out. 
and and I was starting to build some of my first website design and build stuff back in 1998 and uh, that, that became a bit of a springboard for a lot of what I've done subsequently mm. in the rest of my work life yeah oh well, it's interesting I've you know this is my maybe my uh, 12th or 13th interview and I would say that half of the people I've talked to their families were entrepreneurs or at least someone in their family member was a, was an entrepreneur and for you it's the yeah. same yeah I, I think so I think I think often it is and to add flavor to that you know my dad was an engineer and my mum was more into the art side of things so there was a blending I think of let's say a practical um, aspect of engineering and, and the sort of uh, the more human and artistic side of things you know if I then think you know in addition to that what what then made me open-minded was was um you know some travel as an early at a fairly early age to just different parts of ireland to start with then different parts of the uk and then eventually as i became a teenager um some some travel abroad and it, it just made me much more conscious uh again this is pre-internet days mm. um but um you know of the the wider world and and that sort of i think also planted a seed to, to, to travel and be curious. I think the, uh, the initial value of being curious about people, uh, about mm. other cultures, about what they do, uh, what you can learn from those other people, that, that also started to shape my, my thinking mm. <laughs> into that maybe there's other places. Uh, you know, I love my home, don't get me wrong. The UK is great too, but maybe there's something more beyond that that could be interesting. So again, that, that, that sort of curiosity uh, and, and, and then travel opened up my mind to, mm. to thinking, well, well, are there other opportunities and interesting cultures and people to meet further afield? Uh, and that started initially, I thought, in New York. Uh, but as it turned out, I, during that dot-com boom period, there was an opportunity to move to Singapore uh, and build websites uh, for the same company there in early 2000. Um, I was supposed to move to Singapore, Asia for six months. And I'm still in Asia 20 years later. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's it's been an interesting ride, and it, you know, uh, I I I think one of the things that's kept me curious about this part of the world is it's very dynamic, it's very fast changing. There's always something or someone new to meet that has slightly different perspectives from what I would possibly have held, uh, and there's lots of different opportunities in terms of. The pace of growth, the, 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 the sort of the, I guess, the demographics of the people, uh, the, the, the development of space of the different countries that exist in mainly Southeast Asia that I've worked within and what's then over time been able to be, you know, uh, perceived, conceived with influences from China and the rise of that power and uh, other very dynamic countries like the growth of Singapore, where I lived, Japan, Korea. Australia, you know, all, all this kind of very diverse and interesting mix you get from uh, this this part of the world. So I think I think um, you know that that curiosity and the open mindedness uh, mm. to collaborate with people it certainly certainly has helped um, me to really um, you know over the years meet some great people and then you 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 mix and match. You take some ideas from here and mix them with some ideas from there, and it often can really spark and create a lot of extra value for um, maybe a brand in one country versus a, a, another. 
so that sort of cross-fertilization, collaboration and creativity mm. that kind of comes from all of that mix. It's been, uh, it's been something that's really, yeah, really interested me over the years and, and keeps me interested uh, until today. So from Singapore to Vietnam, where you opened your, your first company called the Red Brand Builders, if I remember well. Was, yeah. what, what happened? Was the call to be an entrepreneur was too strong? Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's a lot of, well, curiosity took me out of Singapore. It was an interesting time in Singapore in the early 2000s. And then I felt like a change. And rather than leave Asia, uh, I, I thought maybe try and move to a, an up and coming, the, what they call developing market. So Vietnam really um, fit, fit, fitted the bill. And I, I worked initially gaining experience in Singapore in my first couple of years in Vietnam in, in some of the larger international agencies. And I got some good skills in, in general uh, business management and, and project management, people management, and, and, and the craft more if, of, of in communications in that time. And, and then, yeah, as often these things are, you know, I, 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 I've always been fairly yeah, curious about people, as I mentioned, and, and, and uh, that, that means, I guess, keeping some relationships with different people along the way. And just as luck would have it, there is a, a friend, basically, who, who introduced me uh, to, to someone he'd been doing business with who wanted to bring together a number of, of, of businesses uh, and, and create what became uh, Red Brand Builders. And that was in uh, 2008. And, and that then set me on a course. We found it and then built that business uh, within, let's say, more classic branding space. Uh, so helping people, whether they're entrepreneurs or larger businesses, uh, international or local, uh, create brands, reposition brands, communicate brands, primarily for companies looking to enter into the Vietnam market space uh, and, and connect their brand product service mm. dot, 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 with Vietnamese consumers. So, so that was a really interesting ride. We built that business up over a six-year period that also was at times impacted by the global recession, of course, mm -hmm. that struck the West in 8-9, but didn't hit home into Vietnam through until 2011. So we, you know, we had a good day, we had a good days and some very challenging times as well to ensure the strength of the business uh, long term. But ultimately, we, we got approached by uh, part of, yes, as you mentioned, WPP Group, out of uh, Australia, and they were looking to expand and strengthen their businesses in other parts of Asia, Vietnam being one of them. So again, just sort of in the right place at the right time. Uh, it was all happened just through people that I'd previously known and worked with. Mm. Uh, again, we, we then went through a period uh, of, of time where we brought together not just red brand builders and branding space, but we brought, we coupled that together with business that's focused on digital marketing uh, and even within that uh, digital uh, CRM and uh, combined call center business. So that uh, quickly escalated into uh, a business of a couple of hundred people. So I certainly, um, my fair share of, of managing growth and, and, and managing uh, lots of different stakeholders, mm. uh, both in you know, the parent group that bought us, uh, as well as um, the, the different teams and skill sets and people uh, from overseas and from within Vietnam uh, during during that time <laughs> to grow it. We met when uh, I was in Vietnam myself, I remember. And uh, yes. you mentioned that Red Brand Builder was uh, created in 2008. I mean, seven years later, you, you sold it to WPP. That is yep. a very fast 
turn around. And when I met you, I you struck me uh, as someone with a very clear focus. You were very clear about what the business was about and about what your services were about and about what you were doing. And you had a very great branding around it. Would you say mm-hmm. these are you know, two of the reasons you succeeded? Oh, that's, that, thanks for the compliments. It's good insights. Yeah, obviously, I hope being a branding agency, it, it definitely does help. Sometimes you can be too busy doing it for your other clients. And, yeah, and you, you know, we talk about the story about the, sh- the shoemaker and, the, and his children's shoes, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah, it can be tough sometimes to have the external perspective to apply your own skill set on your own business at times. But we, we did try to, to have that focus and that clarity as to, you know, I, I think one of my biggest lessons was as much what we, what we weren't as what we were. So when I particularly started taking over the other uh, WPP businesses we were combining together, I realized very quickly they could be quickly improved by, by not saying yes to every single client request. You know, mm. sometimes I think there's this mindset whereby you say, oh, we should try and do that. Oh, we should, we should do that. Oh, we can cross-sell this. But the problem is you, 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 you often sometimes make a promise you can't keep if you have that mindset uh, and you don't deliver. Of course, if you don't have the focus of the team and the skills set in place, you try to take something on to please a client in the short term. It often can then come around to bite you in the, uh, the rear end where, when you realize you're not able to deliver it to the same standard as you are as your core business, in our case, uh, creating brands uh, and then marketing them. Uh, we did extend it to more digital marketing, but we, we had, a, I think it developed quite a strong checklist of saying politely to clients what we didn't do as much as what we did do. And I think yeah. having that focus really um, helped us reduce the time in our business development uh, churn, increase the, the rate of winning on the clients we did actually focus on. Uh, and then the clients, when we actually won the business as such, we, we were able to keep our promises and deliver that, that work to a good standard uh, and then repeat that type of work again uh, down the line with them or, or, of course, then hopefully get referred to other prospects. To, to your other point, beyond focus, I think, yeah, the branding uh, is, is something that you need to have, a, I would say, whether it's your own business or, or whatever other business, it's, it's just ensuring you have a very clear uh, foundation from the outset when you set up a business and, and by extension a brand on on what it is your brand actually stands for so you know being curious uh, as I mentioned earlier some of those values being curious on who you're really trying to service who are you actually in my language who you're actually designing for you know what uh, what is the primary pain points even within the, the, the pain points or the problems you're trying to solve for that uh, person. What are, what is this, you could call it the shark's bite. What is the primary pain point you're really trying to solve for that, for that person or that group of people within a business? Beyond that, how, how do you help them then collaborate, input, uh, ideate, make decisions on what's right for, for, for their brand and business. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then beyond that, you know, how, how sometimes can you often help them co-create things together with their own internal teams or their, their, mm-hmm. their own 
uh, clients uh, solutions for who they're working with and, and how can you then over time, you know, never stand still? You know, how do you keep iterating to, to constantly encourage feedback on your brand products and services uh, to, to keep it yeah, relevant and desirable uh, and, and competitive um, in the marketplace. And one of the ways of thinking and framing problems, solving problems I got exposed to along the way with, with the latter part of RED was a way of seeing and thinking called design thinking, as I mentioned before, mm -hmm. or some people call it human-centered design. And this really radically, in my opinion, reshaped and helped me reframe how I really uh, approached and, and empathized more with my customers built to build my own brand and, mm. and with them, of course, build their brand. In my case, you know, design thinking was essentially yeah, a great mindset methods uh, toolkit uh, to, to really help people empathize, get closer to their customers uh, to help them like I say, co-create and really work in collaboration and partnership with their clients. Uh, and then, like I say, um, that, that ongoing uh, process of, of iteration where you really, really go out of your way to ask for feedback on your work, on your product, your service, whatever it might be, and involve the customer, uh, let's say, making the customer the compass uh, mm -hmm. to help chart a way forward for you uh, to, to really keep innovating and improving uh, your brand, your product, your service, the, the total experience that, that you're trying to deliver. Basically, what you're talking about, if I try to summarize, is putting yeah. the customers at the center of everything that you do. You know, leading very, very customers. Yeah, very much. And I think, you know, I, to me, sometimes, I, you know, I've worked in branding marketing for so long, sometimes I think that sounds cliche. Uh, yeah. but, but the reality is, you know, whether I'm, doing training with people in branding or, or design thinking, you know, frequently I'll say, you know, what department are you from? And they could come from any, anyone, or, you know, it could be customer service, branding, marketing, finance, whatever it is. But most times I ask these people, when was the last time you actually spoke to your, to the customer, you know, the person that your role re relies on the person that makes you get up out of bed in, in the morning. When was the last time you spoke to these people? When was the last Time you actually ask them for feedback, uh, and and very rarely do I get people putting up their hands uh, with uh, like having spoke to a customer within three months. Most people, it's six months. Frequently, people have never spoken to one of their customers. Yeah, yeah. So it's I'm not surprised. You know, <laughs> yeah. How do you get to that point? How do you how do you convey that message to all your staff? making sure that you know your staff are in contact with the customers at all times often the mindset somewhat is there but people aren't sure what exact mindset that they they, they need to bring to it let alone you know if i say i'm customer centric oh yeah really but, but how mm. <laughs> you know uh sometimes people think you know being innovative customer centric is someone else's job like oh that's the customer sales job you know <laughs> Uh, or that's branding and marketing. Whereas in my frame of reference, what I want to be able to do, what the reason I get up in the morning is actually, you know, brand innovation, as I call it, through design thinking, it needs to shift the mindset that everyone is the designer and everyone is designing with the end point of what value they are creating for the customer each day. And how, how does that value get created? Well, it, it, it starts off with re reframing a lot of the problems that you're actually 
encountering every day? You know, so a great question I, I, I see asked, I think it comes from Jeff Bezos from Amazon, was, you know, he banned PowerPoint in his business. Uh, and what I mean by that is he, he would always ask anyone that came up with any idea or any recommendation, he would stay in short, like, how is what you're recommending adding value to your customer? You know, it's a simple question, but most people often don't ladder to that point. They think they're only serving an internal process problem. Whereas the reality is they need to think through about how is that making something simpler, better, faster, more delightful uh, for, for an, end, uh, an end customer. So the kind of the mindsets that we need to be establishing are like, how do you get people to question the question they're given? How do we not get people internally or within a business just to accept um, the first problem that, that gets put on their desk? What's the real problem that mm. they actually are trying to solve here? You know, And who are they ultimately serving it for? It may well be on the face of it, an internal customer or colleague, but actually, how is that really adding value to the end customer should be the starting point. The other, the other behavior or mindset is, is to then, you know, try and walk in the shoes of those customers. How, if we were to bring this, if you were to solve that real problem for them, what value is that bringing, not just for your colleague, but the end customer. So then you're starting to get into more, let's say, well, what, well, what methods, what framework of methods mm. can we use to uh, actually achieve that? And that's why, where I dip into a framework of methods, uh, of design thinking methods and, but personally, I, over, over the years, I, I, when we established Doodle Brands, uh, we struck a relationship uh, with the Luma Institute, mm -hmm. uh, which are based out of uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, and they're experts in uh, training people in design thinking. And I have ultimately, in my other life, side by side of Doodle Brands, uh, have become a, a senior design thinking instructor with them. So, you know, I take a very hands-on <laughs> mindset and application of methods to empower and facilitate outcomes with our clients. So our clients may come to us with problems on brand positioning, strategy, uh, or experience, product, service design, and how do we then uh, equip their team with the right mindsets and mm -hmm. methods to, to really, as I said before, like really understand, take time to hold and ensure that you're really solving the right problems for the right people internally and externally of your business. And then from that, use the right methods and mindset to collaborate and iterate and solve uh, the, 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 the right problems with the right solutions. Mm, that is uh, very interesting stuff. I often say my clients, it's not about you. It's about your customers and how great their needs are. You know, I have this uh, leadership course and usually I have uh, head of departments or business leaders from different type of, with different type of background. And I always ask mm -hmm. in, the, in the course one question, if you could do more for your customers, what would it be? You know, give me three concrete actions. And it's very interesting because usually everybody in the organization can come up with ideas. You know, be it right. in the finance department, be it, be it with people who actually don't see customers, they do have right. ideas. And often the organization forget about that. Oh, totally. I think it's a really valid point. And it goes back to this, this kind of mindset where people 
think that it's just the, the, the biz dev or the customer service mm. or the marketing department, you know, or someone that works in quote product. Yeah, it, it's a major opportunity for businesses when they realize that everyone in the business uh, is a designer. Everything, whether it's products, processes, uh, policies, services, sales plans, strategies, business models, everything is that's man-made is designed. A guy called Herb Simon, the, uh, he's a Nobel laureate in economics. He said, everyone designs who devises a course of action aimed at changing existing situations, which might not be that great, into preferred ones. People kind of grasp that mindset that they are a designer and they should be inputting into what the real problem is they're trying to solve for the customer uh, and then inputting and ideating uh, into all the possible solutions. Uh, I, I can for sure guarantee to your listeners, if you bring in someone from HR, finance, logistics, uh, whatever uh, department uh, you can think of, and you bring them in the room and get them to uh, empathize and walk in the shoes of their customers, they're going to very quickly share out what they think some of the problems are both internally but externally for that customer, built upon a whole range of anecdotal and sometimes really left-field reasons how they've garnered that observation, that insight. And then based upon that, uh, for sure, they can come up with many, many different solutions. You know, uh, Ideas shouldn't be the prerogative of some sort of business accelerator or, or some innovation lab or someone that works on the top floor, you know, yes. uh, all ideas uh, should be taken as equal. There's sometimes like a dual pressure that exists where bosses, senior leadership, uh, sure, they have to set a course of direction, uh, but it, in my opinion, what works well isn't top down management and ideation. It's bottom up. You, you get inputs, ideas and ways of improving ideas uh, from across the organization. Uh, and, and what does that achieve? Well, it helps uh, get everyone aligned on what the real problems are. And then let's say have their fingerprints on what, what, what the, the goals are, getting everyone on the same page, uh, and then come up with better ideas, you know, to improve whatever the situation is. Uh, make something. I find these days I do a lot more making, prototyping something, paper prototyping of ideas, not hundreds of slides of, of PowerPoints, uh, where you make something, uh, test something, learn something, uh, again, co-creating something with, with an end customer, uh, potentially in the room, or, or KOLs, these key opinion leaders in the room with you, uh, to try and gain some sort of attraction on an idea, uh, and then ultimately, it's an agile way of, of thinking. You, you gain input, you gain feedback on an idea before the whole group of people maybe around you fall in love with it. And, mm. and what I mean by that is you gain feedback early and often and you want to fail. What I mean by fail is you, you want a first attempt in learning. You know, the, the, the sooner you fail and realize the solution is either right or wrong based on customer input, uh, the sooner you you succeed uh, by that, uh, if you imagine it's like a feedback loop or an iteration loop where you, you, you're gaining that feedback early and often from the right people to help you iterate and really reduce your risk that you, you're really designing the right solution for the right people. 
I can feel the passion <laughs> when you're talking yeah. about human centered design. What is your big dream for Doodle Brands? I think at the end of the day, a lot of what we've just talked about there, you know, it's trying to equip and help everyone to design better, to make things better. Uh, the ultimate outcome is some form of customer delight. And by that, I mean the customer can be the person that you're working with and designing something with in your office, your studio, or it can be, you know, that end customer out there that, you know, ultimately what you get up out of bed for every day, who you get up for every day. So yeah, it, it's really trying to help people uh, design that customer delight but for themselves uh, and being part of a group and a team and being able to have the right mindset and methods at their fingertips to be able to input, to be able to come up with better ideas, uh, to be able to, to iterate and prototype and really have the right solution for, for the right problem at the end of it. So um, in short, yeah, a customer delight. What better thing to get up for at the end well, of the day? I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easier said than done, but, but you know. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we keep wanting to get there, you know. But it is possible. Yes, it is possible. If you had known everything you know now, what would you have done differently? You know, hindsight's a great thing, of course. But um, I, I think if anything, you know, I would have stopped the voices in my head telling me that I, that I shouldn't be an, an entrepreneur earlier. Entrepreneur, uh, earlier. You know, I, I often thought, oh, no, I have to learn this now. Oh, no, I have to learn that now. Uh, you know, whether it was like, oh, no, I have to learn finance management. Oh, now I have to learn this kind of like management or leadership or whatever it is. Uh, and I think, if anything, I, I wish I'd just got to the point where I'd done my own thing as early as, early as I possibly could. Because um, I, I've realized, you know, again, no man or, or woman is an island. No one can do everything. But you can, uh, of course, uh, find other people to join you uh, who have those skill sets and experience that you, you might not have. So I think starting earlier and having the optimism uh, and, and the confidence, basically, that, you know, with the right idea and with a clearly identified problem that you're trying to solve for someone else, uh, and with that real clarity of, of focus and then empathy again and understanding of, of who you're designing for and what who you're designing uh, for and with you know you really you can build a business off that that focus uh, and then you get to benefit from it more quickly than, than waiting years and years later uh, mm. possibly learning skill sets that actually when you really get a business going you, you you can hire those people and bring those people along with you and they can do that for you mm. you know that would be my my biggest learning uh, that if I look back on, I would have probably just got on with being an entrepreneur earlier. And would that be the, the one recommendation that you would give to other entrepreneurs out there? Start as early as possible? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think, I think that, that if you have an idea and you feel really passionate about it, uh, and you think there's, you know, there's an opening, an opportunity. It's not got quite so much competition in that space. Or you really think you understand that problem you're trying to solve for that, that group of people better than someone else. Then don't underestimate the sheer 
strength of perseverance. You know, if you're really focused on that, on solving that problem for someone, there's going to be enough people out there that are going to believe you and they're going to trust you and they're going to, it may start small, but you know, it, it will grow, it will evolve. Uh, and then it's really just a matter of ensuring again, like anything in life, if you promise something to someone, then you must keep that promise because you know, people are people, whether they uh, continue to work for that company that you're working with them in, or they move to another company, uh, they, they will remember you. The, it's not really the company that you're working for, it's the individual that you're working for and with. There's many of my clients over the, the last, oh gosh, actually some of them even nearly 20 years that I'm still in touch with now, mm. who I still do work with all these years later. Uh, it's it's just because you kept your promise and you, you, you said you're going to do this. You, you, you deliver that as best you can. Sometimes when you're least expecting it and you may be having a quiet month or two, it's it's some of those people that pop up and they go, oh, I've got a new project or, oh, um, I was just talking to such and such and uh, they were mentioning they needed this and uh, I thought of you. Mm. Why don't you give them a call? And you're like, okay, great. <laughs> you know, so I guess the other way of putting that is never burn a bridge. You sometimes may have to eat a few bags of salt, but you know, you, you got to get there eventually, get through that adversity and, and try and retain the relationship for the long term because often it's those people that you've persevered with who, who'll be the ones that will just out of the blue have something for you to work on uh, down the line that will really help or be interesting uh, and enjoyable uh, to work in at a later stage. A very good conclusion. Thank you. How can people contact you? The simplest way is uh, my, me, Chris Elkin, on uh, LinkedIn, and then uh, doodlebrands.co. You can find a little bit about me there and contact form on our uh, website. So uh, I, I always invite anyone who wants to collaborate or short, share a story to drop me a line. Maybe there'll be ways we can uh, collaborate in the future. Great, thank you very much, Chris, for this uh, passionating uh, interview. Thank you very much, everybody, thank for you. listening. I would love to hear your feedback about today's interview. So if you have any questions, if you have any questions for my guests too, please drop me a line, send me an email to contact at lauranotan.com or reach out on LinkedIn. See you next time. Bye-bye.